You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn East. Well, this morning, I'm pleased uh, to bring up Pastor Mo Clark to the stage. If you're one of the rare individuals in this church that doesn't know Mo personally, you will certainly recognize him because he seems like he's always here. He's always working. He's always helping people get plugged in, helping people become comfortable uh, and find friends and, and, and find their way in the church. You know, Mo is our pastor of community life. And this morning, he's going to be sharing a very uh, apt message. He's going to be preaching from 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. And if you're able, if you're here with us this morning, please stand for the reading of God's word. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn family. Hope you guys had a great Christmas. Uh, it's an absolute joy to be able to stand before you guys this morning and open uh, and preach from the Word of God. Uh, if you're a Christian today, I want you guys to take a second to go down memory lane. I want you guys to think it back to see who had an influential role in you guys coming to faith. Maybe a spouse, maybe a sibling, a friend, a parent maybe even a pastor or somebody you saw on TV. Well, the truth of the matter is, at some point in time, somebody crossed your path. They probably had a relationship with you, uh, but they opened their mouths about the truth of the gospel. Additionally, you may even know who led that person to faith. Or you may even know who led that person to faith, so on and so on. Well, we don't have the luxury of viewing uh, our spiritual family tree, uh, but if we did, I would assure you guys that it will go all the way back to Jesus' first disciples. You see, the gospel uh, burst forth in the midst of uh, persecution and hostility from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, and it's still bursting forth now to the ends of the earth, just like Jesus promised. If you are a believer today, it's because Jesus' first disciples told someone that told someone that told someone. And decades, centuries, millennia have passed, and long and behold, the gospel came to your ears, and you believe. And my hope is that the line doesn't stop with you, but that it continues on to someone else. My hope is that you would be able to share in the joy of the gospel and the newness that it brings, that the gospel will continue to multiply in you and through you. So before we dive into the text, I ask that you guys would just pray with me. Lord, be with me this morning uh, as I preach your word. May your voice speak and not my own. Hide me behind a cross that I may magnify your name. Praise in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, we'll look at the heart of the Apostle Paul, uh, the most successful missionary, evangelist, uh, church planner in the New Testament. Now, Paul planted churches in very hard places, places where people worship idols, uh, they approved and celebrated sin, and even boasted in their status amongst the society. They loved to get drunk and everything under the moon. Yet, the Lord worked powerfully through Paul 
to bringing people to himself. And I believe we as a church today can learn much from studying his posture of engaging a society that is hostile to the claims of the gospel. You see, the apostle Paul knew that if he wasn't outside the reach of Jesus, nobody was. As a former blasphemer and murderer of Christians himself, he understood grace and mercy like no one else. Jesus not only saved him, but decided to use Paul in his own hands for his ministry purposes. And even though Paul was primarily sent to the Gentiles, he took any and every opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to his brothers, the Jews. When we think of Paul, what characteristics come to mind? You may think bold, you may think passionate, fierce, uh, dynamic preacher, and all of those are true. Um, But does the term love ever come to your mind with Paul? Does the term lover of people ever come to your mind? You see, Paul not only loved the brothers and sisters that were in Christ, Paul loved those who did not know Christ. And in our first Corinthians passage that Brother Scott read this morning, I want to look at two aspects with you guys. I want to look at why Paul did what he did, and I want to look at how he did what he did. So understanding the background of Corinth, Corinth was a Roman city, and it was very strategic for gospel work for the Apostle Paul. Uh, It was economically affluent. Its location near the sea made it great for business. Uh, merchants and travelers alike, they would come, they would exchange good, they would stay for a few days. So Paul knew with everything coming and going, if the gospel could take root here, it wouldn't just stay in Corinth. It'll flow out from there, either to the east or towards Rome uh, or to the surrounding districts. Uh, David Garland, in his commentary on the book of Corinthians, pointed out that Corinth had a mixed population of Romans, Roman freemen, indigenous Greeks, immigrants from far and wide, along with the Jewish community. Now, from a religious standpoint, uh, it's not too different from uh, our country today. Uh, Corinth was a melting pot of ideas and different religions. Many gods and cults were not only just tolerated, they were, they were celebrated. Culture of find your own truth. A buffet style of gods to choose from and different gods to worship. The mindsets were the more gods, the better off you are, a, a concept of, hey, make sure you cross your T's and dot your I's with the deities. His ministry there was tough. It was hard. It was difficult. But the Lord sustained Paul for the impossible work that he had called him to. Now, in our, first, in our four verses this morning, Paul makes his aim very clear when we look at our first point, the why Paul did what he did. Paul makes it clear that his aim was to win as many people to Christ as he possibly could. And he states that five different times in the first four verses. Paul says his aim is to win as many as possible. His aim is to win the Jews, to win those under the law, to win those not having the law, to win the weak. His ultimate desire was to save some. Now, when Paul uses the word win in reference to these people groups, he is referring to conversion. He wanted people to experience true life that they were created for by knowing and following Jesus. His hope and his goal was that people would turn from darkness and that they would turn to light. And Paul knew that apart from Jesus, a person cannot know and cannot experience peace with God. There is a living God versus the mute idols in the shrines that populated Corinth. His tool was the gospel message, and he knew that people had to hear it. In Romans 1.16, Paul writes this. 
He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. Paul knew for an impossible task, he needed power that was unbound. And that power was the gospel message. And not only that, Paul knew that people needed to hear the gospel message. And we see that in Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 14 and verses 17 as well. Paul writes, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It is a must that the gospel message is verbally communicated. The ultimate hope and purpose in evangelism is that people would be saved. And that saving work is brought forth by God himself through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the proclamation of the gospel. The term saved is common in our culture, and I think it should be clarified. So when Paul is referring to people being saved in this context, he is referring to being saved from the wrath and the judgment of a holy God against sin. The gospel literally means good news. God is just, and it goes against his very nature to turn a blind eye against sin. And it is sin that you and I are not only born into, but it's what we choose to submit ourselves to rather than the one who created us to know him and to walk with him. We are rebellious towards God at our very core, but there are two sides of that coin. So you have to understand that God is not only saving us from something, he is saving us to something. He is saving us uh, to understand that uh, God initiates and he invites you and I in the Corinthians to trade in their rags as orphans for robes as sons and daughters of the king. This is a God of mercy, and this is his gift to us. And we see this in Paul, uh, sorry, Paul writes this in the letter of Ephesians chapter two. It's so important to understand what is this message? What is the gospel message that we as Christians need to hold firm to? And that for our non-believer friends, they need to hear and understand. And this is what Paul writes in the first uh, few verses of Ephesians chapter two. He writes, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who was now at work in those who were disobedient. And he includes himself here. He says, all of us also live amongst them at one time, gratifying the, great, the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. It's the first four verses, but it doesn't end there. God does something about that. God initiates something. Verse five reads, but because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is by grace you have been saved. Paul's a reminder that this initiation comes by God himself. Not only has he experienced it firsthand, his desire is that other people may experience firsthand as well. So that's the why behind Paul's motto, so that people may turn from darkness and that they will turn to light. So the question is, Paul, if that's your main aim, if that's your main motive, Paul, how do you go about it? If people need to hear that good news, what's your posture towards people? How are you taking it to them? Well, we see in verse 19, Paul writes, though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. 
So here we see the extreme length that Paul willfully takes for the sake of the gospel. Countercultural to Corinth, countercultural to us in the States. We see his posture as he exchanges his freedom for slavery for the purpose of adhering to win them to Christ. Keep in mind, in the context of Corinth, Paul decided, he made a conscious decision to draw near and become like ones who did not share his worldview. They didn't hold to the same values that Paul held to. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't know him. And the nature of a slave and a servant, it's a hard truth. It means dying to your personal preferences, to your personal wants and desires, to your comforts. Let me press on that. To your comforts for the sake of the the one that you're a slave to. So Paul was a slave to Jesus, the one who saved him, but also for the purpose and for the sake of the gospel, Paul made himself a slave to other people so that they may be saved. You see, in Paul's example of his ministry in Corinth, uh, he moved into the neighborhood amongst these people. He got into the trenches. He got his hands dirty. He got his feet dirty. He worked with them. He made tents alongside of them, and he loved them well, and he served them well, and he looked for opportunities to open his mouth about the gospel. You know, Paul's approach to hard soil when he planted churches was very counterculture to what I'm used to, what you're used to, and the Christian comfort we've been so accustomed to here in the States. You know, if Paul were alive in our day, uh, I imagine we would have a roundtable discussion with him, and we'll tell him, Paul, do you know how intolerant our society has grown to the claim of one true God? How far we've moved from the good days, Paul? How our society is pressing against our Christian values, whether it's from this politician This president being elected, that president not being elected, how hard it is to be a Christian in today's world. And I imagine Paul would sit across the table from us and say, okay, anything else? (laughs) Paul would say, what does that have to do with the gospel going forward? With you loving and taking the gospel across the street, next door, and across the ocean to people who don't know Jesus. Paul would say, look, I face the same hurdles on a great day. (laughs) Paul will say, did you have the chance to read what I was up against in my letters to the Corinthians? Don't expect people to come to you to ask about Jesus. And don't keep distance from those who don't know him. You know, by show of hands, anybody ever play a game called cooties when they were younger on a playground? Uh, Maybe aging myself. But for those who didn't, um, you'll be on a playground and... Somebody will point to somebody and they'll cooties. And you didn't know how fast you could run until somebody had cooties was chasing you. Uh, so, the, so, the, so the purpose was I have to keep my distance and I have to keep space from this person. Because the thing about cooties is if you, somebody touched you with cooties, you would have those cooties. And people will run from you like the plague as well. And if you, are not, you and I are not intentional and purposeful with the gospel message, we too will find ourselves staying clear of people, people that we think have cooties because they don't know our Lord Jesus. Now, some listening under my voice uh, may say, but Mo, we're not supposed to be of this world. And to that, I say yes and amen. To be crystal clear, Jesus and Paul, they never adopted nor formed being worldly in order to gain a hearing. 
Even in 1 John chapter 2 taught us and teaches us that not to love the world or anything in this world, and it's referencing the flesh, the desires of your eyes, the pride of this life. It's referring to the things that hinder our fellowship and our walk with Jesus. We are to be in this world, but not a product of it. That what made Jesus so attractive was that though he was the most distinct from anybody in the world, he was the most approachable. People felt comfortable walking into the presence of Jesus. They felt comfortable touching him. They felt comfortable listening to him. And they felt comfortable dining with him. And nowhere in the Bible do you see Jesus ever approves of sin, nor will he. He dined with those people. And he invited him to follow him. And this is hard work, people. This takes wisdom because it's so much easier to keep distance. So much natural to us, but it's not what we're called to do for the sake of the gospel. Now, my encouragement is that we don't be influenced by the world to the point that Jesus wouldn't recognize us. And also that we don't be distanced from the world that unbelievers find you unapproachable. And I'll say that one more time. Do not be influenced by the world to the point that Jesus wouldn't recognize you. And don't be distanced from the world that unbelievers find you unapproachable. Going on from there, we'll take a look at verse 20, where Paul becomes, or he states to become like the Jews. So Paul writes, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, as to win those under the law. Well, the truth of the matter, Paul was a Jew. He wasn't an imposter. In his formal life, Paul lived a life that he sought to be righteous before God by his adherence to the law. You see, Paul was zealous after the law and the traditions of his fathers. But once God had opened up his eyes and he realized that the law that was handed down from Moses, that it was a foreshadow of something greater that it pointed to, that it was designed to point to. The law was a grace that bore witness to the need for righteousness before God, but it was unable to provide it. The law bore witness to a need for righteousness, but it was unable to provide that righteousness. Similar to a mirror, you stand in front of it, you got wrinkled clothes, you got food on the side of your mouth. The mirror is really good at telling you what's wrong, but it has no ability and no power to fix it for you. Paul, being a, having been a Pharisee and a master of the law, he knew the Old Testament through and through. Your Bible knowledge holds no candle to the knowledge of the Pharisees in the Old Testament, what they knew about the Old Testament. He was in a perfect position at this point when his eyes were open to see how those scriptures pointed to the Messiah that the Jews were already waiting for, that they were already eagerly expecting. Paul knew that the only way that we were accepted by God is through faith, yet he was able to partake in Jewish festivals. He attended a synagogue. Paul was able to take part in Jewish dietary food customs and different ceremonies. You see, Paul even took Timothy with him for his ministry amongst the Jews, and he had him circumcised. He had Timothy circumcised because he wanted him to minister with him amongst the Jews, and he didn't want Timothy to be a stumbling block to his audience for the gospel. Jews would have saw Timothy. They knew his status. His mother was a Jew. His father was a Greek, and their ears may have been shut off at that point. So Paul takes the length and says, even though 
he is not a circumcised, he will be circumcised for the ministry that I called him to. But also Paul was extremely clear that either circumcision or non-circumcision is essential. And we get to see that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, when he writes, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything before God. What counts is a new creation, a new creation by being born new, by being born of God. Are you circumcised? Great. Are you not circumcised? Great. That holds no bearing before your pattern and for your status before God. In verse 21, so Paul was very passionate and very purposeful of not putting any unnecessary stumbling blocks before the Jews in order to hear that gospel message. Moving on from there in verse 21, we see Paul becoming like those that were not having a law. He writes, to those not having the law, I became like one not having a law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law so as to win those under the law. Now the Gentiles' entry into the family of God is by faith the exact same for the, for the Jews. This was a radical shift in the mind of the Jews. Although the Jews were God's chosen people, although they were to be a light to the nations, it often worked itself out in a Jewish type of moral, ethnic, and religious superiority over these nations. Ways God intended Israel to be distinct became a twisted, prideful boast, a type of staring down their nose. During the time of Jesus and his apostles, the same things were true. Jesus didn't share meal. They didn't come into the homes of these Gentiles for fear of defilement. And if they were defiled, they would have to go through a ceremonial cleansing in order to come back into the temple of God. You see, in the Old Testament, if a Gentile wanted to be brought into the family of God, they would have to become a proselyte. They would have to enter through circumcision, and they would have to hear, adhere to the law of Moses. And the gospel breaks that paradigm. The gospel shatters that paradigm. Gentiles, Gentiles will no longer have to partake in the Mosaic law to come to God. Instead, they will partake in Christ himself. And we see that truth when Paul writes in Galatians in chapter 2. In verse two, six, oh, sorry, chapter two, verse 16. So Paul clarifies, said, know that a person is justified. So a person is called or counted not guilty before God. Not, so a person, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Like Jesus himself, Paul had to step over the religious barriers, the social, ethnic, and the cultural lines for the sake of getting closer to people to minister effectively. If the truth of the gospel means that you and I are saved by faith apart from works, that means we could partake in Gentile cookouts, that Paul was able to do so. Pork chops, smoked sausage, ribs, ham hocks, whatever it was, Paul was able to put things on his lips that previously he would have thought would have defiled him. The truth of the gospel frees people and he sets them free. You see, Paul was so passionate of upholding the truth uh, before the Gentiles that he publicly confronted Peter in Antioch as reported and recorded in Galatians chapter two. So if you guys remember that section, uh, Peter was living out of step with the truth of the gospel. 
And the reason that is, is because Peter, up until this point, he's enjoying fellowship with Gentiles. He is breaking bread with them. He is eating meals with them. But long and behold, as certain Jews came up from Jerusalem, Paul saw them and Paul was afraid. Paul may have thought, what what would people think if they see me, the apostle of Jesus, enjoying uh, Gentile cuisine? And as a result, he publicly withdrew from eating with the Gentiles. Led other Jews astray to act hypocritically as well. Peter conformed to them because he was afraid. He was not in step with the gospel. His actions were subverting the truth of that gospel message. The gospel message that peace with God does not hinge on what foods you partake in or what foods you discard. There is no first rate Jewish Christian and there is no second rate Gentile Christian. And Paul was clear. Paul saw that that public act of an apostle needed to be publicly addressed by another apostle. And in the same verse, uh, Paul mentions that he is, in fact, not free from God's law, but he's under Christ's law. So Paul understood that uh, his standing with God was no longer based on the law, but on Christ. With the coming of Christ, he knew that there was no longer a need to approach God by his law, his regulations. His freedom did not mean he lived as one who turned his back on God since he was no longer under the Mosaic covenant. Instead, it is the freedom that Christ has purchased and secured. And his aim was to live and his aim was to fulfill the law of Christ in his body. One of my favorite uh, passages in reference to this was in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, when Paul wrote and instructed, he said, carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Same exact thing Jesus did. Paul is doing and he is writing to his people. People cannot be viewed as a hindrance to your peace, a hindrance to your space. Or how about your time? Are people a hindrance to your time? If so, they get a little bit of you. If that lifting others burdens is hard work and it's time consuming but it's necessary. You know, it doesn't cost much to see a brother or sister struggling and only offer words of encouragement. It's extremely costly to go with them in that moment, in that season, and get underneath that weight with them. You see, love is never just a rhetoric. Love is always tangible. Love is always actionable. God's love for people meant that he sent Jesus into the world. Jesus' love for people means that he laid down everything for the sake of his people. Now, when I think about uh, fulfilling, fulfilling the law of Christ and, and, and carrying one another burden, I think of my days back at UofL football. And Jake, you remember this as well. Certain parts of the year, we had max day, max lift days. Well, we would either squat, we would bench press, we will put our bodies to the absolute limit of how much weight it could carry and how much weight it could, it could bench. And when we did these max lift days, we had to have a spotter next to us. We had to have a spotter that was near enough because the amount of weight that we will put up, if we didn't catch it or if it wasn't caught, it could crush us. So a spotter was no good being 15 feet away. A spotter was no good being 10 feet away was no good being five feet away. A spotter had to be right there next to the weight just as you were to catch it. 
whether people are outside the faith, whether people are inside the faith, my encouragement is that we would be near to their burdens. There's no greater witness as Christians walking with non-Christians in the midst of their burden, in the midst of their issues or their problems. So as we move towards our close, I want you guys to understand that Paul delighted in sharing in the blessing of the gospel. It gave Paul distinct joy to see new life that was brought about by the proclamation of the gospel. And I would agree, seeing multiple people come to faith over a certain period of time, you know, behind seeing the birth of a child, uh, birth of a new believer is an amazing thing. And it's a joy to partake in that. And it's a joy to see that as they go and as they grow and as they make other disciples as well. I want you guys to understand that what we're living at right now is not much different from Corinth, believe it or not. We're not living in two generations ago where Christianity is wildly acceptable or Christianity was a, uh, I don't know, a good characteristic to have a part of your name. It's becoming costly to become a Christian in America, just as it's costly for our brothers and sisters overseas. But how do we approach? We can't look at culture and point fingers. We can't look at culture and just post a Facebook status, Instagram, or whatever social media you may have. Paul was up against impossible tasks. What did Paul do? Paul laid down his comfort. Paul laid down his preferences for the sake of the gospel. He laid down things that he knew was near and dear to him for that. You see, Korah didn't didn't mind the different gods, but whenever you say that there is one way to God, that rubs people the wrong way. That's a hard truth because that means that there's not many roads to God, but instead there's only one. Parents or adults that are here today, I want you guys to understand this. I listened to a podcast and it had, a, it had a staggering number. It said that uh, 90% of people brought up in church from a young age would never share their faith with someone else. I said number one more time. 90% of people that grew up in a faith, maybe you, maybe your children that grew up in a faith in Christian circles and Christian walls, they'll never open their mouth to share the gospel with someone else. So my question to you, my encouragement is, what would it look like to intentionally offset that statistic? What would it look like for gospel, uh, com- for you to have gospel conversations with your kid and to model that? What would it look like to ask your kid, hey, how do, how do you understand the gospel? What is the gospel? And what would it look like for you to communicate the message of the gospel with them? What would it look like to draw near to non-Christian neighbors, to non-Christian friends and coworkers? And for them, what would it look like to have their non-Christian friends and their neighbors over your home, whether that's a birthday party, whether that's a get-together. We have to be intertwined with the world we live in. We don't live in a culture anymore that can say, hey, come to church, come here. We don't live in a come and see world. We live in a go and tell world. My prayer for your family and for you guys is that you will sit and that you guys will pray. You will pray for people that don't know Christ and pray for the nations as well. And lastly, Different students, whether you're college, high school, whether you're middle school students, uh, you're wrestling to find yourselves in an ever-changing society, fighting to see where do I truly belong? Who truly loves me for who I am? Who's my true friends? Well, my encouragement that you will hold fast to the truth of the gospel. 
People will change and they'll let you down season after season. Friends will disappoint. Uh, parents will disappoint. Siblings will disappoint. Uh, but Jesus, he sticks nearer to us than a brother. My hope is that you guys will shine like stars in the midnight skies in society, whether in school or whether it's the workforce when you go there. My other encouragement for you younger people is that um, you will befriend classmates, that you will befriend neighbors, restaurant workers, baristas. Get around people who do not know your Christ and did not share your belief. Learn to love them and learn them, learn to draw near. Don't wait for them to be like you. You be the initiator. You know, as we come to the Lord's table, we're reminded of that. We're reminded that Jesus closed the gap between sinners and himself. Jesus didn't wait and say, you know what? Once they become holy enough, I'll talk to them about my father. Jesus stepped into our midst. And as we remember this meal, we remember his body that he willingly laid down that was really crushed for our behalf. And lastly, we remember the cup, the cup of the new covenant, which is his blood poured out for the remission of sins. Jesus was our ultimate example of sacrifice. And when you guys take communion, take a second to realize that, that God took time to draw near. God came to us and God became like us so that we may know the Father. Let me pray for us. I'm Kevin Jameson, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com slash east.